Hi, my name is Paul Grogan and welcome to episode 30 of the All New Gaming Rules podcast. This episode is an audio version of the monthly video log that went live at the start of October 2022. A big thank you to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. And if you like the content that I create and you want to support the channel directly, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash gaming rules. And now on with the show. Hi, my name is Paul Grogan, and welcome to the Gaming Rules Monthly Video Log for October 2022. I'm recording this on Thursday, the 13th of October, and I'm hoping to get it edited and out tomorrow, but it might end up being next week. We will see. In this video log, I'm going to be covering all of the games that I've played since the last video log, which is a period covering, I think, September the 9th, right up to basically yesterday. Uh, I'm going to be talking about what's been happening on the channel, what's coming to, to the channel over the next few weeks, Patreon update, and all sorts of other things. A uh, big thank you to all of my Patreon supporters for helping fund the channel and making these videos possible. And if you like the content that I create and you want to support the channel directly, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash gaming rules. So as usual, I'm going to start off by covering all of the games that I've played in the last month. And last month, I, I, I changed the way that I did this. So I normally do them in chronological order. I can never say that. Um, but last month, I did them in alphabetical order. And I asked you your opinions. And a couple of people said that they preferred them in chronological order, but the majority of people said that alphabetical order was absolutely fine. So we're going to stick with alphabetical order. Apologies to those people who would prefer them in chronological order. I said it right. Um, so yeah, now I say alphabetical order. My list is not in alphabetical order. So I'm just going to take a moment to resort my list in alphabetical order. I'll be back in a minute. Right, I'm back. And I have my list now in alphabetical order. But there was a couple of things that I wanted to mention just before we started. And the first one is following on from a couple of discussions that I've had with various people uh, over the last few weeks and, and my own personal thoughts on this. As many of you know, uh, I work full time in the board games industry. Approximately 50% of my time is spent doing sponsored work, working for publishers uh, on various things, including tutorial and playthrough videos. And the other half of my time I like to spend on producing content which isn't paid for, such as this video, which is funded through the Patreon campaign. What that means is that whenever I'm covering a game, which I've been paid to cover, not paid to really, you know, give an opinion on the game, but produce instructional videos for it. I find I, I tend to err on the side of caution with regards to giving my own personal thoughts on the game. Now, I've been a gamer, as I keep going on about, for a long time. And that's not to say that when I play a game, I don't have my own thoughts on it. But I feel that it's it's not quite right for me to do a video, for example, on the channel which was paid for by the publisher as, you know, obviously marketing for them or they want to create instructional videos to help people learn how to play. Whatever way you look at it, I was paid to create that content. If I then turn around at the end of that content and say, this is the best game ever, everybody should go and buy this game, I just, that makes me feel uncomfortable. However, as I said, I am a gamer and I do have my own thoughts on the game. So what I'm going to try to do, I'm actually going to, step over that line a little bit more. And I'm curious to know what you think about it. I'm hoping um, that despite the fact that I was paid to create content for the game, even if I don't talk about my thoughts in that particular video, these video logs I'm gonna use as a chance to 
share my personal thoughts on the game. Now that might get me into a little bit of trouble in terms of if a publisher watches this video and I say, oh yeah, I, I played this game, it was a sponsored video, but eh, I wasn't too keen on it and our group didn't really like it very much. The chances are I might not get any work from that publisher. Um, and also the flip side of that, if I say this game's the best game ever, go out and buy it, some of you watching this will say, well, Paul's only saying that because he's paid to make a video for the game. I'm hoping that's not the case. I'm hoping that my years of doing this and the general people who are watching these videos trust that I've got the integrity to not do that uh, and not just be a shill of games and things like that. So yeah, I'm going to try this. And as I say, let me know what you think about it. But instead of just sort of saying, oh, I was paid to make a video on this game, so I can't tell you anything about it. I'm going to try to share my personal thoughts on it a little bit more than I normally do. Right, off we go then. So the first one is Seven Wonders Architects. So yeah, alphabetical order means anything with a number goes first. So Seven Wonders Architects, I played at a games day at the Cranbrook, Cranbrook Games Group, which I go to uh, every couple of weeks. But once every few months, they have a games day. And this was the Sunday before Essen. Went down there early, played a whole bunch of games. And one of the games that I played was Seven Wonders Architects. Now, this is not a game that I would have normally gone out and played. Uh, in other words, it wasn't on my list of games that I want to play. However, the opportunity arose. I think there were seven of us around the table. We needed a game that was relatively quick, that was fairly easy to teach, and they got out Seven Wonders Architects. And I'm, so, I'm like, well, I have no problem learning how to play it. I'm curious about it because I haven't heard that much about it, and I really enjoyed it. Now, Seven Wonders Architects is the Seven Wonders theme. In other words, you're building a wonder, there is science, there is some military conflict. All of the things that are in Seven Wonders are in Seven Wonders Architects. But the mechanisms are completely different. You are not drafting cards. It is not that whatsoever. Each player has their own deck of cards and you put your deck to the left of you. And the top card is always face up. And when it's your turn, you basically take turns around the table. It's not simultaneously played. Um, but you take turns around the table. And then when it's your turn, you can either take the card from the left-hand deck, which is your deck, or the card from the right-hand deck, or you can take a blind card from the center of the pile. So you've always got a choice of three cards. Two of them are visible, so you know what they are. One of them is a random draw from the middle. Uh, and then you play that card. And if it's a blue card, it will score you points. If it's a red card, it will give you military symbols and all sorts of things. And if it gives you resources, you keep those resources in front of you, and then you can spend resources to construct your own wonder. So your own wonder is unique to you, and you're building it up. And I, and I enjoyed it. Um, it is a game which I would definitely play again. As I say, it captures the Seven Wonders feel, but it isn't Seven Wonders. Um, it's not just a lighter version of Seven Wonders. It's a completely different game. Isn't simultaneously played, isn't drafting of cards, but is more accessible than Seven Wonders. Now, I have been... Um, what am I trying to say? I have been in a room where Seven Wonders was used as a learning game for players new to gaming. And I personally believe Seven Wonders is not the kind of game that you want to put on players who have not played games before. People with a lot of experience of games, such as myself, might play Seven Wonders and go, oh yeah, that's easy. We can teach this to a family. No, Seven Wonders is not a, not a game I think that you introduce new gamers to. Seven Wonders Architects, however, is absolutely that. So Seven Wonders Architects, I think, is a great uh, family plus introduction to new gamers kind of game. Relatively simple decisions uh, in what you have to do, relatively simple rules, but with decisions that, that can matter. So yeah, Seven Wonders Architects, let me know what you think about it. Have you played it? 
And that goes for any of the games that I'm talking about now. If any of the games that I'm talking about now are ones which you've got your own thoughts on, leave me a comment in the video and let me know. Moving on, Barrage. Now, Barrage is a game which I was super excited about when it came out, and I remember getting it the year it came out, and I played it four or five times in the next sort of, you know, couple of months after it came out. And then it kind of just disappeared, and I just didn't play it again afterwards. And it's recently been added to Board Game Arena. And because it's been added to Board Game Arena, I thought, this is a game that I really enjoyed. I want to go back to it, and I want to play it again. So I've been playing it on Board Game Arena. I've played a couple of games of it on there. Um, and the implementation is fantastic. Board Game Arena is a fantastic online platform, and it's great to see that they've got the license for, for you know, some bit really big games out there. Now, when we first started playing Barrage, um, back, as I say, when it first came out, whether it was groupthink or not, but we found that there was a problem with the game. And that kind of put us off playing it. Now, I've spoken to various people over the years about this problem, um, and they don't seem to think it is a problem. So I don't know whether it is or not. I don't know whether it was just our group that got caught up in a certain way of thinking that we thought, well, there's only really one way to play this game. Now, because it's been years since I've played it, I remember vaguely what the problem was, but I would need to actually properly play it now to see if that problem is a thing. Now, the problem that we had is the game is all about moving water through your generators and producing energy, and then you, your energy goes up and you get points based on your energy, and Loki's coming to see me. Hello, Loki. I'm talking about Barrage. Yeah, the game with the water drops. Um, where's he going? He'll probably jump all over me in a minute. Um, but what we found is that the best strategy was to literally not produce energy for the first two or even three rounds of the game. And I think there's only five rounds. Um, and just build up your infrastructure. Because if you spend uh, time and effort and workers and resources and things like that in actually producing energy, what you're not doing is you're not building up your infrastructure. And it seemed very unusual that the best strategy in the game was to do nothing apart from build up your infrastructure for three rounds and then grab all of the of the, of the high point water. Um, as I say, let me know what you think about it because it's been so long since I've played it and that might have just been a group think uh, type of thing. But yeah, Barrage is a game which I, I definitely want to play more of. It's very punishing. If you build the wrong thing in the wrong place, that's game over um, because you have to spend so many resources to build some of the things. And if you build them in the wrong location due to a play mistake, or a strategic mistake, then you know you deserve to, to, to lose the game because of that. Um, it is a game where the tactical placement of all of the different things that you build is absolutely essential. You can't just build random stuff in random places. You've got to build it in exactly the right place. And if you spend like eight of your concrete mixers, which is like all you've got, and you're not going to get them back for two or three rounds, if you spend them all on building a, a dam in the wrong place that's not going to do anything, then you deserve to lose the game. So yeah, it's very... Um, very tactical, uh, ver lots and lots of player interaction, especially stealing each other's water, um, but in, done in a Euro game style. Um, yeah, I've got the physical board game. Now, I was at Essen just recently, and I saw that Cranio have released an additional map for Barrage. I don't know whether it's actually available or not, but I forgot to go back to the Cranio booth to ask them for a copy of it. Um, but I am keen to get the physical game to the table again. There was a production issue. There was two production issues with the original version. First of all, the dials, cardboard dials, just were useless. They did not work at all. I did pick up the uh, the wooden dials while I was at Essen, so I've got them. Uh, and the, the water drops that were included in the game were, were really awful, so they needed replacing straight away. But the game itself, 
Really, really good. Next up is Canopy. Now, Canopy is a game that I'd never heard of until last Wednesday. Went over to Essen. Uh, me and Luke Hector drove over. Luke drove over, and we were there on the Wednesday night, and we were in the bar area, and we had a few hours to kill. So we thought, let's play some games, and Luke had brought some small games with him. And one of those games that he dug out was Canopy. Now, this is a two-player card game. Actually, no, it's a two-to-four-player card game, but almost everybody I've spoken to said, it's best at two-player, don't bother playing it with anything else. Uh, and Luke said, yeah, this is, this is best at two-player, so we played it. Um, it's a great game. It's a really, really nice game. It's got Vincent Dutrait artwork. I can't exactly remember who the publisher or the designer is because I'd never heard of the game beforehand. But the core mechanism of the game is really clever. So basically, there are three piles of cards. Pile number one starts out with one card in it. Pile two starts out with two cards in it. And pile three starts out with three cards in it. And on your turn, you pick up pile one, which is one card at the start of the game. And you think, do I want this card? If you want the card, then you take the card. That is your card. And you replenish pile one with one card from the deck. If you don't want the card, you put it back and you add a card from the deck to that pile. So that pile now has two cards in it. Then what you do is you pick up the second pile. So you think, okay, I'll pick up the second pile, two cards. I don't want that either. Put those back, add another card from the deck. So that, that pile is now three cards. Then I'll pick up pile number three. Three cards. Do I want these cards? If you do, keep them. If you don't, put them back and add a card from the deck. If you don't keep any of the piles, you then take one card from the deck and you have to keep it. And what you're doing is you're taking these cards and you're basically building a tableau of plants and animals. Now, why wouldn't you just take all of the cards? There's some bad cards in there. It reminded me a little bit of Ra. Ra, Reiner Knizia game from 20 odd years ago where tiles will come out on a row and then you will bid for them. But some of those tiles are bad. So you think, oh, good tile, that's a good tile. That will complete my set of those pyramids. That was oh, good tile, oh, bad tile. Oh, right, now that's gonna make me reevaluate. Do I even want this? Because although I want those things, do I want these things? And yeah, kind of set collection for the various things with some extra special powers. And it played nicely, played smoothly. And then when I posted about it on the Slack channel uh, that evening, loads of people said, oh yeah, Canopy, great game. So it turns out that it is quite well-known and quite popular. It's just not one that I'd, I'd heard of. So yeah, that was Canopy, really enjoyed that. Next up, Alphabetical Order, is Charterstone. Our Charterstone campaign that we've been playing for the last, I don't know how long, <laughs> has finally finished. Uh, one weekend before Essen, uh, me, Vicky, Mark and Sally got together and we played the final chapter, chapter 12 of Charterstone, and it, it ended. Sally won, we, we all expected Sally to win because she was doing really well with her uh, end of game scoring. I came second, which was a big surprise to me. I thought I was coming last. Uh, Vicky came third and Mark came fourth, but I think it was fairly close um, on the points. Now I've spoken about Charterstone over all of the video logs over the last six months, whenever we've played it. And every single time I say, this game is a lot better than I expected it to be. And that is my final summary of the game. Charterstone is a game where we were super excited when it got announced. We were really looking forward to it when it got announced. Um, but then when it came out, the initial reviews and the initial opinions of people is, meh, it's not that good. So we kind of went, mm, okay, glad we didn't get it kind of thing. Um, and then Stonemaier Games offered me a review copy of the game. And I thought, well, I know some people that said it's actually really good. So let's give it a try. Let, let's, let's give it a try and let's see what it's like. And I am really glad that I did. 
I can see the criticisms against Charterstone and I can understand those criticisms. But personally, I thought it was a fantastic game. I thought it was a great experience. Game one is very, very simple, but it introduces more and more rules as you play through it, as most legacy games do. And it ends up being actually quite complex with all of the different, you've got the, you've got the minions that you can have, the helpers, you've got the friends, you've got the guests, you've got the items, you've got all of this thing that you put together. But ultimately, each game takes about an hour to an hour and a half maybe to play, and you have this nice feeling of progression. The biggest problem uh, with it, and I'm afraid this is a this is a common problem with games from Stone My Games, is they try to make the rule books as small as possible, and unfortunately, that leads to lots of ambiguity and lots of questions um, and things that are just a bit vague. Thankfully, the version of the game that I got had version 1.6 of the FAQ. So I'm really glad actually that I didn't get this game when it first came out because there was a ton of questions and a ton of FAQ uh, and lots of that was, was answered afterwards. So yeah, Charterstone, our campaign has finished. The question now is, the thing with Charterstone is once you have finished the campaign, you end up with a playable game. You end up with a city or a town, whatever, that, that you've built and you can actually play that game as just a standard game. Would I play that game as a standard game? Possibly not. And the reason is, I mentioned that the complexity increases as you go through. If I was to sit down now with some other people and say, this is our Charterstone board after we finished our campaign, let's just play a one-off game. Right, here's loads and loads and loads of rules. Here's this, here's how this works. Here's this, how, here's, here's how this works. There's just, I, I think, and I don't know, but it might be a bit too much. Each individual thing is relatively simple, but throw it all in together at the same time might be too much. Whereas when you're playing the campaign, you kind of unlock it as you go and it kind of, it's, it's kind of a nice progression. So yeah, I'm not sure. The other question is, would I buy a reset pack and would I play the whole campaign again? Possibly, probably not. The reason why probably not is I've got the digital version of the game and the digital adaptation of the game is fantastic. And I've said this many times over the last year, at some point, I want to do a full five or six player playthrough of the digital version of the campaign with the same people, maybe over a couple of days or something like that, I definitely want to do it because I did really enjoy the game. Um, and yeah, now we finished the campaign. It's, it's kind of done, it's ticked off, but yeah, I would happily play it again. So that's Charterstone. Next up, Heat, Pedal to the Metal. This is a game which I have played one round of. Um, this is a new game from Days of Wonder. It's Days of Wonder's big new game from this year. Days of Wonder released pretty much one game a year. It's always a family weight game uh, and it's it's gonna be big. They always do really good component quality uh, and Heat, Pedal to the Metal was their game for this year. I've been looking forward to this game for a long, long time because it's by the designers of Flamme Rouge and I knew that they were working on a motor racing version of Flamme Rouge years ago. I remember Asga uh, posting pictures, one of the designers, of the prototype of it, maybe three, maybe even four years ago. And I was like, oh yeah, this is gonna be great because I love Flamme Rouge. Flamme Rouge is a fantastic game and I am a Formula One fan. So I was really looking forward to this game. And then finally, years later, it gets picked up by Days of Wonder and it's gonna get a really good production quality and it came out at this year's Essen. And I managed to pick up a copy of the game and I played one round of it on the Saturday night. It's a, it's a two lap, a normal game is you play two laps. We just played one lap because we were short on time and we just wanted to experience the game and see how it played. And my initial impressions are, 
And this is not just from me, this is from everybody I know who played the game at the at the fair, is that it was very good. Um, if you've played it and you didn't enjoy it, then let me know why. Um, but yeah, Mike uh, and his crowd from Ready Steady Play, Mark Daunty uh, played it from Not Board Gaming, Luke Hector from the... Mark Daunty, Mark Dainty from Not Board Gaming, sorry Mark. Uh, Luke Hector from the Broken Meeple played it. And yeah, everybody I've spoken to who's played it said this is a really good, solid game. Now, the one thing that surprised me about the game is, bearing in mind it's Days of Wonder, it's a family weight game. I, I say it's a family weight game, that's my opinion on it. And I've played a number of their games in the past. This one seemed a little bit more complex. Now, the game has the base rules, and then it has a load of advanced rules. Forget the advanced rules for now. I'm not talking about those. But even the base rules, I felt, were one step uh, in terms of complexity on some of their other games. And that's not a bad thing. It's fine for gamers, but I, I'm not concerned. Concern is the wrong word, because the chance of me playing this with non-gamers is pretty much zero. But you have all of these phases in a round. It, I mean, the basic mechanisms are, choose what gear you want to go into, that's how many cards you must play, and then you move that number of spaces. And if some of those cards are stress cards, you draw a card from the top of your deck and you move some extra spaces. Okay, that's fine. But then you can also push it by adding a heat to move further. And that's where we got a little bit confused. Mark taught us, and Mark taught us very well, but when we were playing it, we were getting a bit confused between so the stress card means I have to draw a card from my deck and do that, but then I can also push it a bit more, add a heat in order to get another card from my deck. And it was, there were two mechanisms doing the same thing, and that's where I was getting a little bit confused. But once we played a few rounds, it was fine. Um, very keen to try it, this again. It, 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 it probably plays in about an hour, hour and a bit, if you play two laps. And as I say, there's all these extra rules for designing your own car, weather, there's a tournament mode, there's rules for the solo mode as well, so I think this is gonna be a big hit. Um, I did an unboxing video of this, and if you look inside the box, you will see that there are spaces for eight cars and eight uh, gear sticks, and there's only six included in the game. So I'm pretty sure that there's gonna be a seven to eight player expansion coming out. It, it's probably already designed. And there's four maps included with the game, so that you've got a little bit of variety on them as well. Yeah, so initial impressions, good for heat, pedal to the metal. Next up is Just One. I talk about Just One every month, so I'm not going to touch on it too much, but we played Just One on the Wednesday night at uh, Essen Spiel, and we also played it at that Sunday games day that I talked about at Cranbrook. Just One, fantastic game. Love it. Very simple party game. Lots of fun. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to skip past it because a lot of you watch my videos on a regular basis and you know that I talk about this a lot. So if you want to know what I think about Just One, just go and watch some of the other videos where, where I've talked about it. Um, but yeah, really, really good fun game every time I play it. Next up, Lacrimosa. Now, this actually got a playthrough video. So the week before I went to Essen, I did a poll for my patron supporters on, we've got Wednesday night, we've got, I've got one night, I'm going to squeeze in an extra playthrough, what do you want to see? Great Western Trail Argentina or Lacrimosa? And the patron supporters voted that they wanted to see Lacrimosa. So on the Wednesday night before Essen, we did a playthrough of Lacrimosa. It's on the channel if you want to see that. Uh, four of us got together and played it. This was not a sponsored playthrough video whatsoever. Um, it was just a case of, I had that, I had Great Western Trail, I wanted to cover both of them. I only had time to cover one. Lacrimosa is Devia's new game. Now, Devia had one of the big hits of last year's show, which was Bitoku, uh, which is one of my favorite games from 
from last year. And this year, their big new game is Lacrimosa. Now, they've got other games coming out as well, but Devia tend to do very good quality games with also extremely good gameplay. So, we all had to read through the rules. I say we all had to read through the rules beforehand. I didn't. The other three did. And then on that evening, Adrian handled most of the teach, and he taught me how to play, and then we played it. Initial impressions were we all loved it. We, we really loved it. Now, the theme of the game, for me... It is pretty much irrelevant. I'm I'm not that bothered about the fact that we are uh, helping Mozart's wife go round and hire people to complete his requiem, which he was trying to com complete before he died. That that doesn't bother me. It's the mechanisms of the game which really sort of shone through. Short turns, quick decisions, good decisions, lots of different things going on, different strategies, uh, just. Typical solid Euro game, but put together in a very nice package. Production quality is great. Graphic design was great. The rulebook was pretty good. Uh, yeah, big thumbs up for me. Um, I think it's got a solo mode as well. So I'll I'll try and cover that on the channel at some point. Now, I also took Lacrimosa to that Sunday games group at Cranbrook. And although I didn't play it that day, it did get played again uh, by some of the people who'd played it with me and also some new people. And the general opinion of them as well was also a big thumbs up. So yeah, Lacrimosa, initial impressions, very, very good. Next up on the list is Marrakesh. Now, Marrakesh is actually a game which I have played um, since filming the last video log, but before the last video log went out. So when I filmed last month's video log, I think I said in it, later on today, I'm playing Marrakesh, but that will be next month's video log. But then, three days later, I released that video log, which was after I'd actually played Marrakesh. So I didn't talk about Marrakesh in that one. And let's talk about it here. Now, Marrakesh. So again, full transparency here. Uh, Queen Games are one of my clients, and I am professionally involved with the City Games collection. Queen Games uh, knew that I was a fan of Stefan Feld, and knew that I love his games. So when they basically decided to do this, this big Steffenfeld City collection, which is going to be, I think, 12 to 16 games in total, they contacted me and asked me to get professionally involved. So whenever these games go on Kickstarter, I do a video for them, usually played uh, playing the game over Tabletop Simulator. Then I've done a tutorial and playthrough video when I've got the physical copy of the game. And they have also hired me to do proper how to play videos for the game. So I'm I'm deeply involved with these games and Queen Games are paying me to produce a lot of content on these games. There you go. That said, Marrakesh is my current number one favorite Steffenfeld game. I absolutely love it. There's something about it that just ticks so many of my boxes. Now, my former number one favorite game was Trajan. And Trajan gets some criticism for being, oh, it's just a set of six different mini-games. Well, Marrakesh is about eight or nine different mini-games. Um, and I like that. I like that about it. I like the, the the choice of which three Keshis to choose. I like the drafting, although I have... I'm not sure the actual tower where you throw things in is needed. I think you could play the game without the tower and it would still work perfectly well. Um I just like everything about the game, all of the mechanisms of the game, all put together, the playtime, the way it works, the, de the decision space, the crunchiness of it. Yeah. So Marrakesh, I absolutely love the game. It's, yeah, my number one favourite Stefan Feld game. So uh, I, I don't know what else I can say about it. If you are interested in seeing how it plays out, there is a video on the channel. But what's really nice is 
lots of people have been playing Marrakesh in the last month. And the general feedback I'm getting are from other people is Marrakesh is fantastic and we love it. So it means that I'm not alone in that. Because sometimes I get a game and I'm like, oh, I absolutely love this game and everybody else hates it. This one, I've picked one a little bit like, you know, Lacrimosa and other ones that I seem to be in the, uh, in, I seem to be in the majority with it. Uh, which is which is always a nice feeling to, <laughs> to to have that right. Next up on the list is a Hanami. I'll put a picture on screen so you can see what it's like. This is another game that Luke brought with him. It's a very simple, small card game, but I really enjoyed playing it. I played it with three of us. It was me, Luke, and Katie, uh, and we played it. And this was the Wednesday before Essen, and Essen has been a six days of blur, so I can't quite remember that much about it, other than. We are taking cards and we are placing those cards into columns. You start off with, and is it three or five columns that you've got? I think it might only be three columns, but every single card has a number on it and all of the numbers are unique. And whenever you take a card, there's drafting of cards. And whenever you draft a card, you then have to add that card to one of your three columns. And you either have to put it above if the number is higher than the previous card or below. Uh, and you can't, if you leave gaps, then you can't fill those gaps in later. And it's basically that. And then at the end, you score points based on what you've got. Three rounds, you score points for different things at the at the end of different rounds. And you score points for the pink cards at the end of the game. But just another really nice, solid, simple game, good decision space, definitely one that I would play again. So thank you very much, Luke, to teaching me both that and Canopy that night, because both of them were really, really good games. Uh, what's next? Rebuilding Seattle. So, speaking of games that I was paid to produce videos for that I think are absolutely fantastic, Rebuilding Seattle is a game which I think is going to go under a lot of people's radar. And that is because it's published by WizKids. Now, WizKids do a lot of different styles of games. WizKids do uh, the D&D miniatures games. They do all sorts of other games. In the past, they've done uh, Quarriers. They've done... Uh, the, the Marvel dice game, whatever it's called, I can't remember. Somebody will probably mention that in the comments. But WizKids do a wide range of games. WizKids also do a board game range. Now, some of the board game ranges that they do are uh, the fun ones. Like recently, I played Dungeon Scrawlers, which is by them, which is a light sort of 15, 20-minute fun game. But a lot of people don't realize that they also do some really good, solid Euro games. And Rebuilding Seattle is one that caught me by surprise. So... Because I have a professional relationship with WizKids, every year my contact at WizKids sends me a list in advance of these are the games that we're going to be doing next year, Paul. Which of these would you like to do videos for? Now, I don't have enough time to cover all of the games that they tell me about. So what I do is I go in and I have a quick look at some of them and I say, okay, I'll do a video for that one and that one and that one and that one. And then I booked them into the calendar and I said, I'd love to do all of them, but I just, I just don't have time to do all of them. And Rebuilding Seattle is one of the ones that I said no to. And that was because I took a quick look at it and went, mm, just looks like a, a lightish city building game. I'll, I'll pass on that one. However, then WizKids came to me and said, Paul, we'd like to do, we'd like to hire you to do a little bit of rulebook consultancy. So forget the playthroughs for a minute. They now want to speak to me about rulebook consultancy. And they said, one, one rulebook we'd like you to have a look at is Rebuilding Seattle. I know you've already said that you, you're not going to do a video on the game, but we just want you to check the rulebook over. 
So I got the game, I got the rule book, I checked the rule book over, it needed some work. I, I, I ended up spending like a day or a day and a half rewriting various sections of the rule book. And then what I did is I wanted to make sure the rule book was good and I organized a blind playtest session. This is where me and a few of my patron supporters get together with Tabletop Simulator. I give them a copy of the game, uh, a virtual copy of the game. I give them the rule book and then I say, right, off you go, go and play the game and I'll see if you're able to play it correctly as per the rulebook. And it was played. And I, in fact, joined in that game because I wanted to actually see how it played myself. So I didn't do the teaching. Uh, I think it was Mark who did the teaching. So basically, Mark had read the rulebook uh, and sort of taught me how to play, even though I knew how to play, and we played it. And we all said at the end, this is a fantastic game. This is really, really good game. So I went back to my contact at WizKids and I said, um, you know, I you know, I sort of said no to doing a video on rebuilding Seattle. Can I change my mind? Because it's really good. This is months ago, right? Months and months ago. Anyway, a few weeks ago, the physical copy of Rebuilding Seattle arrived and I did it. I've covered it on the channel. So if you go and check out Rebuilding Seattle tutorial and playthrough video, I covered it just before Essen. Now, the game is coming out, I believe, January of next year. I'm not sure why they wanted me to release the video just before Essen, um, because the game isn't coming out until until January. But it really surprised us. Um, it, it was just really, really good. The playtime was good. The decisions were good. And, I, and I, I feel like I'm repeating myself a lot in this video log, but I think a lot of the games that I've been playing recently are hitting just the right sweet spot of... This isn't too heavy in terms of complexity of rules. It's not too long to teach. The decision space is good. The decisions are meaningful. The mechanisms are great. It all works together. And the game takes about an hour and a half. What well, this, this is just brilliant. We really, really enjoyed it. So I actually played Rebuilding Seattle three times that day. We got together in the afternoon and we, we, we played it. Uh, and then we did the live stream in the evening where we played it again. And I enjoyed it so much, I then did a, a Patreon-only solo playthrough after they'd gone. So the people who came round to play the game in the evening, they disappeared off home, and I went back upstairs, and I turned the cameras back on, and I went, right, off we go, solo playthrough, here we come. Um, I will be covering it again on the channel probably in January, when it's, when it's going to be released. Um, but yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Now, I took Rebuilding Seattle with me to that games day. The games day, the Sunday before Essen, I took it with me and we played a five player game. And the opinion of all of the other players around the table are, this is a fantastic game. So it's not just me that was saying it, I really enjoyed it, um, but the other people enjoyed it as well. One of the things about the game that we really enjoyed, the core mechanisms of the game are that you are in charge of a district of Seattle. And what's happening is all of these people are flooding in so you start off with 11 people, or a population of 11. Then on round two, you will gain 12 population. And on round three, you will gain 12 population. And you've got to basically uh, increase the size of your area, build more shops, build more restaurants, um, and build more entertainment to keep all of these people happy. Because when each of those three things scores, you will score points based on the quality uh, of, of that particular amenity, but then it will be modified by how many you've got. So if you've got if you've got 20 people and you've only got 12 restaurants, then you're eight short. So what you do is you look at how many points you were going to get from restaurants and you reduce and you you knock eight off. And it's just this really interesting balance of well, I want to increase the quality of something, 
but also I want to increase the number of something. And it has a really interesting mechanism for reducing your population. Now, that represents uh, education. People are getting educated and moving off. But having spoken to the designer, the designer commented on the video and let me know that there's a number of things in the game which might feel like just abstract Euro mechanisms, but they've actually got some theme in them. Um, so yeah, Rebuilding Seattle. I've talked about it enough. If you're interested, go and check it out. It's on my channel. I don't know anybody else who's talked about the game. That's why I'm saying it might fly under the radar. Because yeah, if, as far as I know, I'm the only person that's done a video on it. And I'm the only person really that's played it. Um, certainly in the content creators world. I know some people played it at Shooks because the designer was there demoing it to people and they enjoyed it. But yeah, if you're interested, go and check that out. Next up is Sabika. So I did a solo playthrough of this. And I can't remember why I did a solo playthrough of this. Was it was it a Patreon supporters voting or something like that? I think it might have been. Now, I'd already covered Sabika on the channel uh, one Saturday night as a Patreon-only stream where me and Adrian, we sat down with the game and we learned how to play it from the rulebook and then we played a two-player game. But I did a solo playthrough of it. Now, this is quite a few weeks ago. And I, the reason I know it's quite a few weeks ago is when I was producing this list of all of the games that I've played in the month, I don't even remember this, <laughs> but I did do it. I just can't remember that much about it. Um, and I've, I, I, as I've thought about it, I thought, oh yeah, I do remember now doing a solo playthrough of it. Um, it has a solo mode in it. The solo mode works perfectly well. I can't say too much more about it other than it's on the channel now. If you want to go and see a solo playthrough of Sabika, I, I've, I've put it on the channel. But the one thing that I can tell you about it is the solo mode suited me perfectly. The admin and the maintenance and the upkeep of the solo mode was minimal. And that's what I want in a solo game. I personally do not want a complex AI that represents another player. I just want either no solo AI at all, or I want an AI which is easy to manage. And this one was easy to manage. All it did was like flip a card over, move it to that space, maybe remove a tile. That's it. It just, it represents the fact that there's another player doing something, but they're not interacting with me in any way. Um, so yeah, really enjoyed that. That was that was a good solo mode. Sabika so is one of those games which I covered. Um, and I, I think I talked about this in the last video log. Uh, it's by the designer of Bitoku, but it's published by Ludanova. There's nothing wrong with the game. I found the font choice a bit hard to read, but other than that, it, it's a solid game. Whether it's a... Um, personally, I don't think it's as good as Lacrimosa. I've, I didn't enjoy it as much as Lacrimosa, for example. And that's one of the downsides of so many games coming out all at the same time, is because Sabika has come out, and Sabika's a good game. We enjoyed Sabika. It's fine. But is it as good as the 10 other games that's all come out at, uh, you know, on the same week? Or in fact, the, the thousand other games that's come out at Essen. But I'm talking the ones that are in my wheelhouse. Um, and it, it might not be. I, I would like to play it again. I wouldn't say no to a game of Sabika. I found that the action selection was was quite interesting. All of the different mechanisms were quite interesting. One of the issues I did have, and this is this was highlighted in the solo game, but I don't know if it's going to be in the multiplayer game, is there are these uh, kind of end game scoring. I think they're called major poems. And some of the major poems are like, okay, at the end of the game, you're going to score X points Depending on, depending on how many of these things you have done. That's fine. I have no problem with that whatsoever. The more of them you do, the more points you get. That sounds perfectly fair. 
But there was one of them that I think came up in my solo game, and somebody will correct me if I'm wrong here, but it was like, if you've got the most of these, score 14 points. And it was like, okay, so you've got one of them, and I don't have any of them, and you score 14 points. In other words, some of these major poems seemed fair based on how much effort you put into it, but other ones seem to be, I mean, 14 points is a lot, seem to be very swingy based on just maybe having one of them. Uh, just, if, you know, as I say, if you have one of something and I've got zero, you've got the most, boom, 14 points. Uh, and that seemed a little odd and a little imbalanced compared to some of the other major poems. But anyway, that's, that's Sabika. Next up on the list is Scout. Now, Scout is interesting because I played it at the Games Day at Cranbrook that I've talked about a number of times. Uh, and a friend of mine, Dan, taught me how to play. Thank you very much, Dan, for the teach. Best teach of a game that I've ever had of any game ever. I'm only saying that because I know Dan's watching. Um, but he played Scout. Now, I'd not heard of Scout beforehand. I don't think I'd heard of Scout beforehand. And it was by Oink Games. Oink Games make a lot of games that are all in really, really tiny boxes. Now, I've played a few games from Oink Games. Some of them I've really enjoyed. Some of them I really didn't enjoy. So I wasn't sure about this one. And I played it and it was utterly fantastic. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was extremely clever and really well done. Now, I just want to talk about silly fun card games for a minute because I don't play silly fun card games. Silly fun card games where there isn't really much decision space and it's fairly random. I don't see the point in playing those because I've got plenty of other games which I would prefer to play instead. And I know that there is a train of thought of, oh, well, we've only got 10 minutes. We just want something silly and fun. Well, if you've got only 10 minutes, why don't you play a good game in those 10 minutes rather than something that's silly and fun? And Scout, for me, fixes the silly fun card game issue by making a really good card game, but also fairly light and plays in a good time. The reason why I'm saying it's really good and, and, and the separation between scout and a silly fun random card game is in scout when you pick up a card and it's a really really simple idea but it's very clever when you pick up a card you can choose where to put it in your hand because you're not allowed to change the order of the cards in your hand so you can choose where to put it and every card can be flipped over and there's two different numbers on it so suddenly you have choice it isn't just oh i can't go i'll pick up a card it's i'll pick up a card where do i want to put it which side do I want to put it? Which card do I want to pick up? And suddenly you have all of these choices and decision points. Um, yeah, I thought it worked really well. And the funny thing is, I played it on the Sunday before I left for Essen. Over the next three or four days of Essen, so many people that I talked about mentioned Scout. And I'm like, I know, I've only just played it as well, and it was fantastic. And people were like, oh yeah, we've only just played it, and it was really, really good. So everywhere I went, people were talking about Scout, and it was just really, really cool. Anyway, uh, I picked up a copy. Uh, thank you, Toby, from Oink Games for that copy of the game. Um, and then I played it one night. We played one round of it after we played Heat. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just a really good game. As I say, relatively simple, but clever and works really well. Right, moving on. Spirit Island. This was a digital playthrough. This is on the channel if you want to see it, um, but I did a digital uh, playthrough of Spirit Island one night before Essen. I can't remember exactly when it was, um, and we did a two-player one. It was me, and I was joined by Mark from Malta, and 
what a fantastic game it was. It was such a good game. And I have now played with the Branch and Claw expansion accidentally. So Branch and Claw is an expansion which I've been scared to add to the game because Spirit Island is a game which I am comfortable with, but I am, I am not expanding into the parts of the game which add additional complexity because I'm a little bit worried that I'm already, I, I don't play enough. If I played it regularly, I'd have no problem with adding in all of these extra things. But because I don't play it very often, I've reached a point with Spirit Island where I'm comfortable with the level of rules and I just enjoy playing it at that level. However, I chose a particular spirit to play thinking that that was the spirit that I played last time. So I said, I'm gonna play this spirit. And then it turns out that that spirit was one from Branch and Claw, which meant we start using the tokens from Branch and Claw, which meant I've now introduced a whole bunch of extra rules and I've now played with Branch and Claw. So I enjoyed it and I'm glad that I've done that because I think I was just, I was putting it off because I felt a little scared to you know, reach beyond my comfort zone. Um, but Mark, hello Loki. Uh, Mark taught me how some of the tokens work with help from the chat as well. Are you coming up? Come on, it's, it's vlog time. Do you want to be on camera? Come on. Come on, come on, here he comes, here he comes, love you, yeah, it's that time, what time is it? Three o'clock in the afternoon, it's cuddle time, he comes in, he's all full of purrs, he gets loads of cuddles and then he gets fed up and he disappears. Anyway, right, we'll carry on talking, so yeah, Spirit Island, fantastic game, top 10 game for me, no question whatsoever, still my favourite cooperative game of all time and the digital adaptation is Fantastic. It is so, so well done. We'd lost that game. We'd completely lost that game. Things had started to get out of control about halfway through the game. You kind of get an idea of how it's going. And halfway through the game, it wasn't going well. And what was really nice about the Spirit Island stream that I did is that it was a live stream. There were people in the chat that don't join in my live streams for anything else, but they do join in Spirit Island. So there were people in the chat who were clearly Spirit Island experts and they were going, yeah, you've lost this one. And I'm like, well, yeah, I know we've lost this one, but we're still going to play it. We're still going to play it. We're still going to try our hardest and we're going to do as well as we can and we'll go down fighting. But both me and Mark and everybody in the chat was like, yeah, we have lost this game, but we'll just carry on anyway. And we won. And nobody quite knows how we won. We just played an absolutely brilliant game for the second half of the game and everything went right and we made some difficult decisions and we turned it around. And that has only increased my, my love for this game in the fact that it isn't just a given when you get to halfway through the game as to, oh yeah, we've won this or well, we lost this one. We turned it around and it was, it was really good. So um, yeah, if you're interested in that, even though I've already spoiled how it ended, Go and check it out on the channel. It's a Spirit Island digital playthrough from sometime in September 2022. Uh, and just watch from halfway on when we when we start to turn it around. I still don't know how we did it. Next up is Castles of Burgundy. Um, I think I talked about this last month because um, we're in the middle of an online tournament at the moment. Uh, my Patreon supporters on the Slack channel that we have, we're in the middle of running a Castles of Burgundy tournament. And in fact, I'm, I'm two moves away from finishing another game. Um, but I just wanted to mention that I have been playing Castles of Burgundy online on Board Game Arena as part of the tournament, and the game is still as good as when I was playing it 10 years ago. Still very much enjoying it. It's just one of those 
staple games which I, I mean, I've played it probably 300 times now, uh, probably about 30 times in person, uh, but most of my plays of it have been uh, online using some online platform. And yeah, Castles of Burgundy is fantastic. Next up, Tilatum or Tilitum or Tiletum or however you want to pronounce it. Apparently it's Latin. Um, and I think I think it's Tilatum. But this is a new game from Board and Dice. And it's technically, I'm classing it as an Essen release. I got a copy of it a few weeks before Essen and we covered it on the channel in order to help promote the game so that hopefully they'd sell more copies at Essen. Um, but I did a sponsored playthrough. Board and Dice sponsored me to do a playthrough of Tilatum. So I've played it twice. Uh, we played it once that in the afternoon as a practice game, and then we played it again in the evening. And just going back to what I said right at the start, full transparency, that was a sponsored video. Board and Dice paid me for my time to get the game, learn the game, practice the game, and then do a playthrough on the channel. Okay, put that aside, I really enjoyed the game. Now, I really enjoyed the game, and I didn't have the same issues with it that some other people have said. So I've spoken to a number of other people who've played the game, and they've said that uh, the game doesn't have a player aid. It's a big problem. There's, there's like five actions in the game, and some of those actions have two or even three choices, and the game really should have come with a player aid. And I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. But I didn't have that problem. I don't know whether I was just, you know, in the right frame of mind that day, but everything just seemed logical and everything seemed to fit. So yeah, I don't disagree that a player aid would have been nice, but we played the game without a player aid and I, I didn't personally find it a problem. Um, also, the chaining of actions. The chaining of actions is something that concerns me. One thing that I don't like in games is when you're doing one action and in the middle of that action, you move a counter onto a space with an icon. What does that icon do? Well, that gives you another action. Okay, so let's just remember where we're up to with this action. I'm now gonna go off and do another action completely. And then in the, in the middle of that action, we do something that gets me three points and I move three points up and I've hit this threshold. What does that threshold do? It means I get another action. Oh, wait a minute. So I finish that action, then I finish this action, then I go back to the first. Right, there are some games that I've played where that has been so confusing I've completely lost track of where I am. Tilatum has that, but I never felt that issue whatsoever. And I think that's because each individual action is actually quite short and quite small. And one of the actions is just move your piece a number of spaces up the king's track. So for me, that doesn't kind of count as an action. An action is where I have to make decisions on, on what to do. Uh, and there's a little bit of that in there. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't have those problems with it. One thing I really liked about it, and this is going back to the thing that I've said three or four times already, compared to some of the other tea games in the series, Teotihuacan, Tekenu, Tabanusi, um, this one felt lighter and this one felt more streamlined. It wasn't a long game, it wasn't a long teach, it had some good decisions in the game, it had some good variability, and I liked the way that it played. This is where I am going to now with my gaming life and my, my love for games is my tolerance for the games that take an hour to teach and four hours to play has been diminishing gradually over the years. I mean, I will still play those games now and again, but of all of the games that I've played in the last month, so many of them are 15 to 20 minutes to teach max, an hour and a half to two hours to play. 
and I get the same amount of enjoyment out of them. And it's less work on the brain. I think just as I'm getting older and brain is stopping working more. But I don't need a hundred different rules in my mind. 25 different rules and a good game is enough for me. And if we just look back, we're looking back to, uh, you know, Lacrimosa, Rebuilding Seattle, Sabika, Tilatum. All of those are, you know, similar complexity and that's a really good complexity for me. So yeah, I really enjoyed the game uh, and I would definitely happy to play it again. And if you wanna see more, there's a playthrough on the channel. As I say, I played two games that day. The first one was a warm-up game where we were learning how to play and it was a bit of a practice. Uh, and then the second game was the actual live playthrough. That's the one which is on the channel now. Uh, what was funny about that playthrough is um, I taught the rules at the start and I said, at the start of the game, you have these various buildings and you cannot have the same type of person in two of your buildings. And then about an hour later, I completely cheated and I did exactly that. And the chat was shouting at me, but I couldn't see the chat because my eyesight was not quite right that night. Um, and they were shouting at me for about 10 minutes saying, Paul, you're cheating, Paul, you're cheating. You're not allowed to do it. Um, so although I did play incorrectly, I did teach the rules correctly at the start. I was just, I was just playing it wrong. Loki's come back in, he's having a sniff around. What is it you want? Is it you want food? Yeah, I think he wants food. You can have some food after I finish recording this. Right, two more to talk about. The next one is Vienna. Now, Vienna is game number five in the Steffenfeld City Collection. I was hoping, while I was at Essen, to have a look at games five and six. Game five is Vienna, and game six is Cusco. Vienna is a, an updated re-implementation re of La Isla, and game six, Cusco, is a re-implementation of Bora Bora. I didn't get chance to play Cusco. I did get chance to see it and get an overview of it, but I did get chance to play Vienna, and I played a full game of it. This is on the Wednesday night. Uh, Ulrich from Queen Games, uh, who's also a patron supporter of mine, came to our hotel on the Wednesday night and four of us got chance to sit down and play a full game of Vienna. Now, I enjoyed it, but what I will say is Hamburg is a re-implementation of Bruges. It's almost the same. It's got a number of tweaks, but in terms of the complexity of the game, it's about the same. Amsterdam is a re-implementation of Macau, it's got a little bit more complexity because it has the dock workers. Uh, New York City is a re-implementation of Rialto and is about the same complexity. Marrakesh is a completely new game, but Vienna is a re-implementation of La Isla, but is far more complicated than, than La Isla. Um, and that is because Vienna is actually a similar complexity to Hamburg, Amsterdam, and possibly not Marrakesh, probably Hamburg and Amsterdam. So what, what they've done, Stefan and Ulrich and the rest of the team who were working on the game, they have turned the core idea of La Isla into a more complex game that fits in the same complexity level as the other games in the series. Now, the theme of Vienna is it's set post-World uh, post War II, so it's like 1950s, and there's various sort of spies and secret agents in Vienna, um, and you're going around and you're trying to get information and things like that. Mechanisms-wise, though, yeah, it, there was a lot going on. It was my first few turns of the game, I was I was like baffled. I was like, okay, well, I think I know what I'm trying to do, but I need to go, I need to go to there in order because I'm trying to surround a, a bit of information to take that information off the board. But each building has a particular country assigned to it. 
and I want to go to certain countries because of that. But also each building has a certain category associated with it, and I want to go to that. And there was one point where I said, right, I want to go to a church that's controlled by the Soviets or something, which is on an orange light, right? Is there one of those anywhere? No, there isn't. Right, okay, well, what am I going to do? It did all start to come together. Um, but yeah, it had some really nice um, multi-cards multi -card, with multi-use. You have a hand of cards and you will play, and each one has three things on it, and you will do the, the first thing on one of them, the second thing on another one, and the third thing on another. So you'll be placing these cards down and doing various things with them. Um, but yeah, I've not played Le Isla for a, a long time. So there wasn't much that I remembered from it other than you're placing pieces on a board to surround a particular area and then you take that token off the board. Um, but yeah, got a chance to play Vienna. That will be going to Kickstarter, I think, next year. I think January, February next year. So if you're wondering uh, what's next for the City Collection, Games 5 and 6 will be going on Kickstarter next year. I will be doing uh, playthrough videos for both of them while uh, just before they go on Kickstarter so that everybody can see how they get played. Uh, and then I'll be doing another playthrough with the final version of the game when it comes out, which will be which will be sometime next year. Finally on the list is Woodcraft, which I have played three times in the last month. Uh, now, I did a tutorial and playthrough video. This was not a sponsored playthrough video. So I wasn't paid to create the, the playthrough video for Woodcraft, but I will say that I have become friends with uh, the designer, Vladimir Suhi, uh, and his wife over the years, because I've worked with them for a long, I mean, the first time I worked with him was on Last Will. Uh, I was one of the playtesters for Last Will, and that's where I first met him and, and, and got to know him. And, I, and I'm a big fan of his, and I like a lot of his games that he's made. But Woodcraft is a co-design with a guy called Ross Arnold, who is one of my patron supporters. So, although I wasn't paid any money at all to produce any videos for Woodcraft, I am friends with the people who made the game. So just bear that in mind. Now, Woodcraft has a very, very interesting action selection mechanism. And that, for me, is one of the best parts of the game, is the way that you choose actions, you move a, you move action tokens around, it's kind of like a rondelle, but not, and it makes old actions better. There's a really interesting set of decisions on which action you take and which actions you don't want to make better for other people later on. And some of the actions have bonuses associated with them, and yeah, that bit, that core mechanism there is really good. The rest of the game is your standard Euro thing about collecting resources and then using those resources to complete orders. But what makes this game a little bit different is the fact that it's about sawing wood into various pieces. I mean, this is a really, really simple thing. I give you, for example, a dice, which is a five. One of the actions in the game will allow you to saw that dice into two halves, so you could have a one and a four, or a three and a two. That alone is a really nice thematic integration. And what you've got is you've got these order cards. Now, these order cards are essentially, uh, you've got to make this thing. What is that going to cost? It's going to cost a green three, a green one, a yellow two, and a brown four. Right. They are the dice you need in order to be able to complete that order. And in order to get those dice, you need to take the various actions in the game, which is getting the wood, selling some wood, buying other wood, sawing wood to make smaller wood, planting trees to grow wood, and in some cases, gluing wood together or splicing in scrap wood in order to make dice better. It's basically dice manipulation. All of those things that I've talked about in the game are all about 
manipulating the numbers on your dice in order to get your dice to match the orders. But it plays nicely. I really like it. The only bit of the game which I'm not sure about is there is a little mini game about storing your tools in the attic. Personally, I think the game would have been a better game if that was just completely removed and there was just an end of game scoring for the number of different tools that you have collected. Um, I found the storing the tools in the attic not thematic. This is a game about woodcraft. And in this game, you can get all of these tools, but you don't use these tools to actually build, make things. You just, you put them in the attic. And it's basically just a, a completely separate abstract mini game about placing pieces and getting bonuses. Now, I like Vlarge's mini games. Don't, don't get me wrong, I don't mind that. But in this game, I personally just felt that if, if that bit was completely removed, what was left was still a good enough game. It didn't need that bit to go on there. Um, but other than that, yeah, Woodcraft was a really good game. And what was really nice is to see uh, Ross at Essen, his first game, his first game design, and he's gone with Vladimir Suhi and Delicious Games, and it was a big hit. And it was really popular at the booth. Lots of people were playing it, and they sold loads and loads of copies. I think they sold out... And when I say they sold out, I don't mean they sold out just because they had 36 copies there. They had a lot of copies there, um, but it was really popular at the show. That's it. That is, I think, unless I've missed something, that's all the games that I've been playing in the uh, in the last few weeks. Right, let's move on to the next thing I want to talk about, which is, oh yeah, what else has been on the channel? Unboxings. So many unboxings. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I might rename the channel to, to Gaming Unboxings instead of Gaming Rules because I've done I've done loads. I mean, before Essen, okay, I did an unboxing for Undaunted Stalingrad. Video's coming on that soon. Undaunted Stalingrad, one of the games that I've been so excited about getting because I love the Undaunted series of games and I love a campaign-style game and I was really, really excited about this. So I've done an unboxing video and there will be other videos coming soon. Um, I've also done unboxing videos for Great Western Trail Argentina, Lacrimosa, uh, Tilatum, all before the playthroughs. And I've done an unboxing video for ISS Vanguard as well. Another game that I'm super excited about. This year, I think for me, is one of the most exciting years for all of the games that are coming out, which I've been really, really excited about. Um, so yeah, did loads of unboxing videos before Essen. After Essen, uh, I, I, I took Tuesday off. So Tuesday of this week, two days ago, I took the day off from what I was supposed to be doing and I did eight unboxing videos. So first, first piece of life advice, uh, don't do eight unboxing videos in a day. It was absolutely exhausting. Anyway, the unboxing videos that I did on Tuesday, and they're all on the channel if you want to go and watch any of them. I did Heat, I did Atua, uh, Uwe Rosenberg's new game. I did The Palaces of Carrera, second edition. I did Revive. Uh, I did Agricola 15. I did Hamlet, uh, I did Hoplomarchus Remastered, and I did Hoplomarchus Victorum. So yeah, those are all on the channel. And then last night, I did another very exciting thing, which is I unboxed Frostpunk. Frostpunk is my number one most anticipated game. Well, it was. I now have Frostpunk. It is no longer my number one most anticipated game. I guess it partially still is, because I've not played it yet. Um, but I did that, and I interviewed Jakob from Glass Cannon Unplugged. Glass Cannon Unplugged. He's the CEO of Glass Cannon Unplugged. So it's an, it's an hour-long unboxing because it isn't just an unboxing. It's an unboxing and an interview all rolled into one. That's on the channel. Went live yesterday. So yeah, lots of unboxing videos. What else has been on the channel in the last month? Well, I did two how-to-play videos in the last month. One of them I actually finished 
like three or four months ago, which is Weather Machine. So the How to Play video for Weather Machine went live the week before Essen. Uh, this is Vital Lacerda's latest new big box game with Eagle Griffin games, super complex, and my video is like 45 minutes long. But if you are looking to learn how to play Weather Machine, that is the video that you want to go and watch. I've also done a playthrough of the game. I did that a few months ago with Nick and Gemma, so I've got you covered. If you want to, if you want to just watch a how to play video, or if you want to watch a tutorial and playthrough video, or you want to want to watch both, they are both on the channel now. I also released my how to play video for Deal with the Devil. Deal with the Devil is one of CGE's new games for this year. They had Starship Captains and they had Deal with the Devil, two big games, both released at Essen. Starship Captains is the one which is going to get the massive appeal, but Deal with the Devil is a solid game and I'm just hoping it finds its its audience because Deal with the Devil is a work of genius. It's designed by Matush Kotri, the designer of Alchemists, and he's a really, really clever guy and the game is very, very special. And I kind of hope that it doesn't get outshone by Starship Captains in the same way the Under Falling Skies was released on the, at the same time as Lost Ruins of Arnak. Now, Lost Ruins of Arnak went on to become one of the best games of that year. And a lot of people's, one of their favourite games of all time. Under Falling Skies is a fantastic game and was released the same year. And I think it kind of got outshone a bit by Lost Ruins of Arnak. And I think Deal with the Devil will also get outshone a bit by Starship Captains. You know, if you went to the CGE booth and you only went to buy one game, Starship Captains was probably the game that you bought. But Deal With The Devil is a very, very solid game, and the how to play video for that is on the channel now. The downsides of Deal With The Devil, it is a four-player game only. You have to have four players, no more, no less, no solo mode, none of that. You have to have four players, and it requires an app, but it does, it does it in a clever way, a little bit like Alchemist, it's not intrusive. If you are put off from even looking at Deal With The Devil, because it uses an app and you want to get away from technology. I, I understand that argument, but please, please don't just dismiss it. Literally, the app comes out for twice during the round, you put it on the table, you scan the chests in, you give them to people, you put the phone away. That's it, okay? It's not like a fully app-integrated game where the app is sat there the whole game, you're all looking at the screen, uh, and everything is run by the app. It's not that. It's the same as Alchemist. You literally, you are playing a board game and then for maybe 2% of the game, you need to get out your phone, scan something in and put the phone back and that's it. So please don't dismiss it just because it has an app. The app integration is really, really well done. Um, but yeah, that how to play video has gone live on the channel now. So if you're interested in learning how to play Weather Machine or Deal With The Devil, I've got you covered. Right, what's coming up? Lots of things coming up over the next month. So first of all, ISS Vanguard is happening tomorrow. Tomorrow afternoon, Rick's coming round, Peter's coming round, Paul's coming round, we're playing ISS Vanguard. I can't tell you how excited I am about actually playing ISS Vanguard. I spent, I lost track of how many hours I spent working on that game. And it was an absolute pleasure. And for those of you that don't know, I have retired from rulebook writing. I have stepped down from rulebook writing and I no longer do it. And ISS Vanguard, is one of the last rulebooks that I was involved in. And working on the ISS Vanguard rulebook, even in the end stages and working with the designers who I got on really, really well with, made me question my decision about whether to, just bear with me, my battery's running low. I need to just go and charge my laptop. Hang on.
Right, laptop is laptop is charged. <laughs> I'm doing the audio recording on the laptop, and it was a, it was about to cut off, which would have been bad. Um, so yeah, so working on the rulebook for ISS Vanguard made me question whether I wanted to give it up because there is such a, a rewarding feeling about being a part of the project that produces something for such an epic game. And now that uh, backers are starting to get copies of the game, the rulebook, although it has a couple of minor issues with it, apologies for that, um, generally regarded as a, as a really good rulebook. And that's, that's very rewarding. However, the game itself, I can't wait to play it. Uh, and that's not because I worked on the rulebook. It's because it's a narrative-driven game. The people behind writing the story for ISS Vanguard is the same creative team, or mostly the same creative team, uh, that's behind Tainted Grail, which is my number one narrative experience game of all time. So I'm super looking forward to playing this game and not for the mechanisms of the game, even though I quite like them. It's for the story. It's for, oh, where's this story gonna go? And all of this stuff. Those moments that I had with Tainted Grail were sometimes quite emotional for me. Um, because I got so immersed in the setting and I got so involved in it. And it was like when you watch a good film and it was like when you get that 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 moment of the reveal of, of a secret or something like that, you know, those moments that we have. And I, you don't have those from Euro games. I don't, I don't play a Euro game and have any kind of feeling like that, but I do with narrative driven games. And I'm, and I'm possibly building this up too high in my mind, but I'm really looking forward to that. And that's happening tomorrow. Now, we might be doing one game of it tomorrow. We might be doing two. We don't yet know. The reason is, I want to play ISS Vanguard with Vicky. Me and Vicky played Tainted Grail together, and we enjoyed it, and she enjoyed the narrative experience, and I really want to play ISS Vanguard with Vicky. But I don't know if she's going to like it or not. So basically, tonight, after we've got back from the gym, we're going to sit down and we're going to play ISS Vanguard together. If Vicky likes it, then... I'm only going to play the tutorial on Friday and I'm not going to play anything else. And the reason for that is it would be unfair on her if I was to continue playing the campaign and then I I knew what happened next and then I went and played it again with her. That's not fair on her and she wouldn't like that. Um, you know, it's like, you, oh, we're both going to go and see a film for the first time. Oh, I, I've already watched it. You know, it's kind of it kind of spoils the experience. So we're playing ISS Vanguard tonight. Tomorrow, uh, we're, we're playing the tutorial. Tomorrow afternoon, I will be doing a sponsored playthrough video where we will be playing through the tutorial and the first ship book phase. And then if Vicky likes ISS Vanguard, I will not be playing it again in the evening and we'll be playing something else instead, which will probably be War of the Ring the card game. But if Vicky says, okay, I'm not too keen on this game, then boom, we're gonna be just playing ISS Vanguard tomorrow. We'll play two games of it tomorrow. So yeah, right now at the time of recording this video log, I don't know exactly what I'm going to be doing tomorrow night, but by the time this video log goes out, maybe I will. What else is coming in the future? Oh, over the next few weeks, I can tell you what sponsored videos I've got coming to the channel. I have uh, Hamlet. So Hamlet is happening a week tomorrow. So what day is it tomorrow? It's the... What is it today? It's the 13th today. So ISS Vanguard is on the 14th. So the 21st is Hamlet. Hamlet, a village building game for Mighty Boards, also been getting a lot of buzz, also been getting a lot of really favorable reports. I was very, very keen on covering the game anyway. And then I contacted Mighty Boards before Essen and I said, would it be possible 
for me to get a review copy of this game. Oh, and by the way, if you were interested in any sponsored playthroughs, then I will put the work in and I'll learn the game and I'll do a proper video for you. They said, yes. I'm like, brilliant. That's fantastic for me because it's a game that I was looking forward to anyway. So that's coming up on the 21st. Then on the 28th, I'm going to be doing Unconscious Mind. Now that's not going to be live. It will be for Patreon supporters only, but it's not going to be live on the channel. I will be doing, I will be recording probably using, no, it's with the physical copy of the game. Yeah, physical copy of the game. I've got the prototype, uh, Unconscious Mind, the latest game from Johnny Pat Cantin and Fantasia Games. Um, you know, the people behind uh, who uh, Endless Winter. Uh, and I'm going to be doing that on the 28th. That will go live to Patreon supporters, but then the video is going to be taken down, edited, and that will be used as part of the upcoming Kickstarter campaign because I think the Kickstarter is going live at the start of November. But very much looking forward to that, especially from all of the things that I've heard about it. What else is happening? Um, Frostpunk. I am going to be doing a live tutorial and playthrough video of Frostpunk on Sunday the 30th of October. Hugely exciting. I've got between now and then to really learn the game and properly dive into it. Um, at the start of November, I am going to be doing a tutorial and playthrough for Mobile Markets, which is a shorter, lighter version of Smartphone Inc., or at least set in the same universe as Smartphone Inc. anyway. That's by uh, Arcane Wonders. And then it's Gridcom. So they're, they're the sponsored videos that I've got. However, I am going to try to fit in a few other ones. I mentioned that I might be doing War of the Ring tomorrow night. Also, the evening of the 28th, there's a gap for something, uh, and it will be my patron supporters that vote on which game I'm going to be covering. So at some point in the next few days, I am going to be putting a poll on my Patreon page for here's all of the new games that I've got recently. Which ones of these do you want to see more than anything else? And I will I will answer to my patrons, because they're the people that are funding the channel, um, in terms of the order in which you want them done in. Apart from War of the Ring, that I'm probably going to do first. Right, what else is happening? The Frosthaven How to Play video. So if you want to know what I'm doing in between all of that other stuff, I'm going to be working on the Frosthaven How to Play video. I estimate this is going to be approximately 100, 100 hours of work in total. I've already spent about 20, 25, no, maybe about 20, uh, and I haven't even started filming yet. Writing the script has been a big challenge. Uh, it's a big game, uh, and it isn't just a case of I'm... For those people that have watched my How to Play videos, you know one thing that sets my How to Play videos apart from some other people's is I don't just follow the rulebook. If I was to create a How to Play video that literally just followed the entire structure of the rulebook, that's relatively easy to do. I don't do that. I get the game, I learn the game, and then I work out what is the best way to teach this game, and quite often I don't follow the structure of the rulebook. With Frosthaven, I couldn't even follow the structure of the rulebook because it's not to say that the rulebook isn't good, there's just a lot of information which I think needs to be presented in a different order. So yeah, it's taken me a lot of time to do that. I am hoping to get the Frosthaven How to Play video done by the end of November. I'd like to, it will be done as soon as I can do it, but I need to obviously balance it in with all of the other work which I've got scheduled in. So, Gridcon is then happening, uh, which will be the start of November. So my next video log will be done before Gridcon. Um, Gridcon is happening and it takes place on the 11th to the 13th of November. Um, so I will be going there on the 10th to do the setup, which means the next video log should be recorded at the start of November, which will be just before Gridcon. Right. Speaking of the Patreon update, as I've mentioned in the last few video logs, um, the Patreon support has been on a slow but steady decline since about January. 
we did a really, uh, it was really good at uh, the end of last year. November and December were good months. And we ended December uh, on, on a high. But then since January, it's been dropping gradually. Um, just just a few supporters each month, but it's been on a, a slow, steady, steady decline. Until last month, um, the current, pa current number of patron supporters, as it was about an hour ago, is 837. That's the highest it's ever been. So I say this every month, and I, and I genuinely mean it. A huge thank you to everybody who has not only started supporting me in the last month, but to everybody who has continued to support me. Some people who are watching this video have been a patron supporter of mine since I launched the Patreon, which is coming up for four years ago now, I think. Um, and your support means a lot to me in a few different ways. First of all, as somebody who suffers from you know, a long list of mental health issues, having people directly support what I do because they enjoy the content that I'm creating gives me a feeling of you know, satisfaction and, and, and worth. The fact that what I produce, people are actually enjoying because you never know, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here recording this and I'm creating videos and I don't know what people think of them. But it, it's good to have people support me in that way. It me, makes me feel better. But also there's the financial side of things as well. And, I, and I, as I've said in a lot of my other videos, uh, I do rely on the financial support of the patron campaign. And occasionally I get a couple of questions saying, hang on a minute, Paul. Some people reach out to me privately and they say, well, I would support you on Patreon, but I'm not going to because you work full-time in the games industry, therefore you already have a salary. So let me, let me just clarify this because I know most of you watching this think, well, that's silly. But I just wanna mention this now. For those people watching this video, this might be the first time you've ever seen one of my videos. I work full-time in the board game industry. In other words, I have no other job. This is my, this is my full-time job. I don't do anything else. However, as I mentioned at the start, only some of the work that I do is sponsored. A lot of the work that I do in the industry is not sponsored. For example, today, all I have done today is two hours of Gridcon admin and writing, filming, and editing this video log, right? That's today. I earned zero money from any other work today because I've done this. Tuesday, I did eight unboxing videos. And Monday night, I spent two or three hours planning Tuesday. And then Tuesday was eight unboxing videos. It took me all day to do. I was absolutely exhausted. None of that was paid for. So this is what I'm saying. Although I, I spend all of my time doing stuff related to the board game hobby, a lot of it is not paid for. And in fact, in the last two weeks, I didn't get you know, obviously while I was away in Essen, I haven't produced any sponsored content. I haven't done any rulebook consultancy. I haven't done any game development. I've done none of that while I was away. And I have, I've done no paid work this week apart from tomorrow. The only paid work that I've done in two weeks is the ISS Vanguard video tomorrow. And trust me, that's not going to be enough to keep me going for two weeks. And that's where the patron support comes in. So yeah, it's a big thank you to everybody who supports me. Again, not just for the, for the moral support, but the financial support allows me to take days off work to produce eight unboxing videos, though I'm never gonna do that again. I might do seven next time, but not eight. Eight was way too many. Um, and that is great. You know, I, I don't have the worry about, oh, if, if I take a day off and don't do the rulebook work, I'm gonna be not earning enough money. I don't I don't have any of that. So, and that's, that's down to your support. So thank you very much. On screen now is a list of all of the new supporters who started supporting me in September. Uh, if you are somebody who has started supporting me in October, then your name will appear 
uh, on next month's. But yeah, a big thank you to you. But also, as I mentioned, a big thank you to everybody who continues to support me, who whose name isn't on that list, who, who has been supporting me for, even if it's just for the last month, the last six months, or the last year, or the last four years. Big thank you to you. Right, other updates. Just a few more things, just to wrap things up before we finish. Before Essen, my sleeping issues came back and I went through another period of not quite as bad as an insomnia as I had in July, but really, really restless nights to the point where uh, me and Vicky, uh, we, we split into different bedrooms because she, she had a cold, uh, so she wasn't feeling well. I was getting up every 30 minutes anyway because of all of my anxiety issues and everything else. And the week before Essen was a really rough week. I was very, very stressed. I was not sleeping very well. I had so many things to do. I had so many deadlines to meet. And when I went to that games day on, on the Sunday before Essen, part of me thinks I shouldn't have gone. I was totally and utterly run down. I was barely awake. I'd had like two hours sleep the night before, but I, I went along to the games day because I thought I'm not gonna let this get in the way of my life. Uh, and I went there and I went to the games day and I had a good day, even though I was physically and mentally struggling all day. Uh, and then the Monday went off to Essen. And while I was in Essen, obviously didn't sleep well while I was in Essen. However, I didn't come down with Vicky's cold. Yay! So that's it, Vicky got a really bad cold just as I was leaving from Essen. And I, I could have gone to Essen and while I was there, come down with that cold. So I was, I was quite worried about that. Um, thankfully, I didn't. I've come back from Essen and I felt a little bit grotty, but that's mainly due to just tiredness and exhaustion. Um, yesterday, actually, I was feeling pretty ill. And I said to myself, I said, well, if I wake up tomorrow morning feeling as ill as I did yesterday, I'm gonna do a COVID test because I did feel really rotten. Um, as it is, I've still got a bit of a bit of a sore throat, but generally feel better. So it's, it's mainly tiredness. Um, so it looks like I, I got through unscathed and the last two nights I've slept really well. Well, maybe not last night, but certainly the night before was really good. Um, yeah, so what else is happening? I think that's about it. That's it, I've got, all I've got written here is wrap up. And I can't remember what I was gonna say in the wrap up. I don't think I have anything else to say other than Again, a big thank you for watching. And if you've liked this video, obviously give it a thumbs up. If you're not subscribed to the channel, subscribe to the channel. Uh, and if you are able to support me on Patreon, pa patreon.com forward slash gaming rules, which helps keep the channel going in amongst the sponsored work. Um, other than that, thank you very much. Between now and the next video log, I will have played ISS Vanguard and Frostpunk. I'm very excited about both of those and lots of other games as well. Uh, and I hope you are too. I hope, I mean, my my excitement and my enthusiasm for these games is real. Um, you know, going back to what I said at the start, some of these games I'm being paid to make videos for, but that doesn't, that doesn't change the fact that I'm a gamer and I'm super excited about these games. And I'd like to think that when I'm talking to you and you're watching this video and when I meet you in person and I'm talking to you as a person, I come across as another gamer who enjoys playing games. The fact that I get paid to make some videos is a separate thing. I mean, yes, sure, it's all linked together, but I hope nobody speaks to me and thinks, oh yeah, Paul, he's a guy who gets paid to make videos, so his opinion kind of doesn't matter kind of thing. No, I'm, I'm a gamer and I will always be a gamer. Anyway, wrapping up, that's it. I'm gonna disappear off now and get a cup of tea and start editing this video and I might get it done. You never know, I might get it done by the weekend. We'll see. Thank you very much to everybody for watching. Take care and I will see you all next time. Bye-byes.